Our second Bible reading is John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please do keep that page open because we'll be referring to that Bible passage during the sermon. Why don't we bow our heads and pray for God's Spirit to change our hearts through his word. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus says, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Father, we have to admit that our ears are often not good at hearing what you say to us in your word. So as your word is preached now, please would we use our ears to listen well. In Jesus' name, Amen. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia novels, said in a university lecture in 1944, friendship causes perhaps half of all the happiness in the world. Friendship causes perhaps half of all the happiness in the world. In today's Bible passage, Jesus says, that the eleven disciples with him are his friends. But what we'll see as we look at this passage is that Jesus doesn't only have those eleven disciples in view. Ultimately, he's speaking about all his followers when he says, you are my friends. And if friendship in general causes perhaps half of all the happiness in the world, how much more does Friendship with Jesus bring happiness to the Christian. Friendship with Jesus can be a constant source of happiness in our lives. If we want to experience the fullness of friendship with Jesus, there are three features of this friendship that need to be properly grasped. The first is that Jesus communicates with his friends. Jesus communicates with his friends. In verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, 
for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Communication is an essential part of real friendship. Imagine a friend of yours has an important performance review with their boss. You see them after that meeting and you ask, well, how did you get on? And they reply, I'd rather not say. Well, as a one-off, that's, that's fine. That's understandable. You can live with that. But imagine this friend always gives you that kind of response. They never fill you in. You say, oh, great, mac and cheese. What's the recipe? They say, it's a family secret. Always has been, always will be. You say, how did that first date go? They reply, classified information. You say, any vacation plans for the summer? They reply, oh, I keep those cards very close to my chest. You ask, how are you getting on with your roommate these days? And they say, lips sealed. (laughs) After a while, you think to yourself, the lack of talk here is disappointing. You'd say to yourself, I'm just not being treated like a true friend. That's because communication is essential to friendship. We want our friends to fill us in. And that is what Jesus does with his friends. He says, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. When Jesus makes known to his disciples all that he's heard from his Father, he's sharing information that has been exchanged between different persons of the Trinity. It's a little bit like someone who works alongside the president passing on to their friends everything the president tells them. What an honor for those friends to be trusted with that information. How much more should Jesus' friends feel honored by his willingness to make known to them everything he has heard from the Father? It's always worth repeating that the way in which Jesus communicates now is through the Bible. Peter was one of those 11 disciples with Jesus that night when Jesus revealed to Peter everything he'd heard from the Father. Jesus did that through regular speech. But Peter understood that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he and the other apostles had to make sure Jesus' words were preserved in Scripture or else future believers would be in the dark. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, a verse I quoted a couple of weeks ago, but it won't do us any harm to hear it again. Peter says, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. In other words, without the efforts of Peter and the other apostles who supervised the production of Scripture, Jesus' teaching wouldn't have been remembered. So the Bible is where we hear Jesus speak to us. It's how he communicates with us. And we shouldn't feel disappointed about that means of communication because the written word is just as valuable as the spoken word. If anything, it's more valuable because you can go back to it and hear it again whenever you want. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. If I said to Betsy this evening, Would you prefer a Valentine's card from me tomorrow or a little Valentine's speech? I know she'd prefer the card, 
She would certainly prefer the card because it's a, it's a lasting record instead of something that's easily forgotten. In a similar way, we should view Scripture as a wonderful method of communication. Jesus communicates with us in the best possible way. Before we move on to the next part of the sermon, we need to ask, what was it that Jesus heard from the Father? In the first half of verse 15, Jesus points out that a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. The disciples are no longer in that position, Jesus says to them, which means they do know what their master is doing. And so when Jesus says, all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you, he's saying, everything the father has told me to do, I've made known to you. The second half of verse 15 parallels the first half of verse 15. Jesus' friends know what he's doing because the father told Jesus what to do and he hasn't kept those instructions under his hat He's revealed them to his followers. Jesus has told us why he had to go to the cross. He's told us why it was necessary for him to ascend into heaven after his resurrection. And he's told us what he'll do in the future. He'll come back again to live with his people in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Those were the instructions that God the Father gave to Jesus his son, and Jesus didn't put them in the shredder. He disclosed those instructions to his friends. Now, Jesus' personal mission plan from the Father isn't the only information that he reveals. But more than anything else, that is the information we need to know. That's the information that makes sense of everything else. All other knowledge is footnotes. Once you know what Jesus has done and is doing and will do in this world, you can bring your life into line with that. It's the information, the knowledge that makes sense of everything else. And if you're listening today as someone who hasn't yet brought their life into line with Jesus' personal mission, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do, then that is something you could do today. You could bring your life into line with all that Jesus is doing. It's time to move on to the next feature of friendship with Jesus on display in this passage. Jesus commands his friends. He commands his friends. In verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Our friendship with Jesus is no ordinary friendship. And this commanding feature of friendship with Jesus is abnormal. It's not true of most friendships. And someone might say in response, that's not true friendship. True friendship doesn't involve obedience. But if that's your own gut reaction, I hope you'll reconsider while most friendships don't involve commanding and obeying, there have always been some human friendships where one person commands and the other obeys. Think of soldiers who become close friends 
while serving together as regular troops, and then one of them is promoted to the rank of officer, the other isn't, and afterwards the officer has to give orders to his friend, the regular soldier. In that situation, if the friend who is still a regular soldier refuses to obey the officer's commands, well, their friendship will be impossible to maintain. And our friendship with Jesus is like that. He holds a higher rank than we do. And so it falls to us to obey him. Now, we can trust that it will be good for us to obey Jesus' commands because he loves us. Look how openly he declares his love for his followers in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We can see Jesus' love for us in action as we look back on salvation history. He says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for us when he went to his death on the cross. He chose to lay down his life for his friends. He did that because he knew the only way our sins could be forgiven was through his death. On the cross, he acted as our substitute, receiving our punishment in our place. We deserve to be punished for our wrongdoing, but Jesus laid down his life for us so that we might be spared what we deserve. What's more, he laid down his life for us before we were his friends, while we were still his enemies. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when we read those words in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you, We shouldn't be suspicious about Jesus' intentions. Jesus gave his life for us. His goodwill toward us cannot be doubted. Jesus doesn't want to ruin our fun. He wants to bring us joy. He says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Obedience leads to joy, because it keeps us in the love of Christ. If you keep my commandments, Jesus says in verse 10, you will abide in my love. We don't earn Jesus' love through obedience, but it is how we stay in his love, because obedience is what Jesus has saved us for. The person who claims to follow Jesus while refusing in a firmly settled way to obey him isn't a true follower of Jesus Christ. But when obedience is in place in your life, you can be confident that you're abiding in Jesus Christ's love. Loving Jesus and being loved by him, that is where true joy is found. Obedience doesn't take anything away from that joy. It adds to our joy. It amplifies it. 
because Jesus' commands are so good for us. One command in this passage stands out. It's there in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Today's passage tells me that Jesus doesn't love me alone. He loves you and you and you. He loves all his followers. So it makes perfect sense that he commands me to love you because you're someone he loves. You're someone he cares about. In our final song today, we'll sing, When we live as one, we all share in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit. The songwriters could have been meditating on today's passage. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Verse 9, love one another as I have loved you. Verse 12, Christians can experience the same love for one another that exists between Jesus and the Father. It's one of the outcomes of friendship with Jesus as we obey his commands including this standout command to love one another. And I hope and pray that we'll experience more and more of that love in our own church. Let's press on to the third and final part of the sermon. There is a third defining feature of friendship with Jesus in this passage. Jesus commissions his friends. He communicates with his friends, he commands his friends, and he commissions his friends. Please look down with me to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples with him. They have a special commission to serve as apostles. But we can't leave things there. We can't say verse 16 is just for the apostles because that mention of fruit in the middle of verse 16 shows that Jesus still has his vine and branches illustration in view. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Jesus pictures himself as the true vine and his followers as the branches producing the vine's fruit. And that vine branches fruit illustration certainly applies to all of Jesus' followers. Back in chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. When Jesus then returns to the subject of fruit here in verse 16, we should take that verse as a verse for all branches, not just the 11 branches with Jesus, but all his followers. The choosing and appointing language there in verse 16 can be found Elsewhere in the New Testament, applied to regular Christians, we have been commissioned by Jesus to bear fruit 
for the glory of God the Father. Each and every Christian can say, I've been chosen and appointed by the King of Kings. It probably wouldn't be wise to say that to the person standing next to you on the subway platform. I've been chosen and appointed by the King of Kings. But if you did say it, it would be true. It would be true. Sometimes a Christian's personal commission from Jesus Christ will seem very commission-like, if you see what I mean. Hudson Taylor, the great 19th century missionary to inland China, felt led by God, compelled by God, to go from Britain to China to share the good news about Jesus with the Chinese people who hadn't heard that good news. More often... Christians find that their personal commission from Jesus Christ unfolds as they carry out their existing responsibilities diligently and faithfully in Jesus' name. In other words, as Christians who aren't embarrassed to be Christians. We saw last week that the fruit Jesus expects from his branches is justice and righteousness. And we will produce that fruit as we obey Jesus' commands by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying for God's help, as Jesus invites us to do there at the end of verse 16. The fruit of righteousness and justice will come from our branches. Now that is lasting fruit, or fruit that abides, in the words of verse 16, because it will have eternally significant consequences. To give just one example, simply by participating faithfully in a gospel-preaching local church, loving your fellow church members, giving as you are able, serving as opportunities arise, You'll be helping non-Christians to hear the gospel and you'll be helping Christians to grow up in their salvation and persevere in Christ, staying in the vine. Well, those are eternally significant consequences. And they come simply through obeying Jesus' commands, gathering with his people, encouraging one another. There's a, there's a classic children's book called The Brave Cowboy, first published in 1959. The hero of the book is a boy who dresses as a cowboy, complete with a two-holster belt, and fills his days with cowboy activities, warning a stagecoach that the bridge has collapsed capturing a mountain lion and stopping bank robbers in the middle of a holdup. But it's all imaginary. You can see that it's imaginary because those activities are all drawn in red ink, whereas the real things in his life, like his cat, are drawn in black ink. The brave cowboy hasn't actually been commissioned to do any of those things. But we have the thrilling challenge of a genuine commission. Because Jesus, God the Son, 
has truly commissioned us to bear fruit that will last forever. As we express our love for him through obedience, we will produce that fruit. Jesus is a friend who communicates and commands and commissions. And throughout it all, he is with us by his spirit. He has not left us as orphans. He's as close to us by his spirit as a vine is close to its branches. In the words of Proverbs 18, verse 24, which we heard earlier in the service, Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. In the words of the hymn we sang at the start of our service, what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus to us to be our friend. Thank you for his willingness to lay down his life for our sake. We pray, Father, that we would have the right attitude to Jesus' commands, not seeing them as joy-killing, but as joy-giving. Help us by the power of the Spirit to obey Jesus' commands, that we may remain in his love. And we pray, Father, that as we fulfill the commission we've been given, we would have the joy of seeing fruit, fruit that abides. Amen.